ruthless aggression. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the very first edition of the Ruthless Aggression Podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm joined over Skype by my main man, CJ. How's it going, Siege? Yeah, really good. Thanks, Dave. Uh, really looking forward to doing this uh, first ever Skype review uh, podcast. Uh, so it's good. Some great things to come from this podcast. So it's Vengeance 2002. We are live from the Joe Lewis Arena. Um, we are started with a video package, a little promo for the triple threat match at the uh, at the top of the card. Um, about a million pounds worth of fireworks go off as Michael Cole and Taz lead us into the first half of the show. Um, they mentioned on commentary that JR and the King will be doing the second half. Um, so the first match is a tag team tables match with the Dudleys of sorts, with Spike and Bubba, against a bit of a Radicals reunion with Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Um, so CJ, what did you take to this match? What did you think? Any thoughts? Yeah, I thought... Um... Yeah, it was a good. It was a good match. Um, I think that you know having Spike and Bubba together as a team for me uh, didn't work as well as it could have if it was Bubba Ray Dudley and Devon, obviously the Dudley boys. Um, the one thing I would like to point out straight away for the against the, the nitty gritty of the actual match, and uh, the one thing that stood out to me was there was a guy that was doing the cables outside of the ring. Uh, he looked very much like Jerry Springer. Uh, which I find quite funny. Like, it's just uh, such a good lookalike. Um, yeah, so, yeah, all right, start, all right, yeah. No, it was uh, it was good. I think it was uh, it was a decent match to be fair for opening of a pay per view. Um, Benoit and Guerrero they spent the majority of the first half beating Bubba down. It was one of them typical. Is he going to make the tag? No, we'll cut him off. Is he going to get the no? We'll cut him off. Um, and then Spike does a lovely over the top rope sent on onto Guerrero. Uh, beautiful that he's always been good at uh, his little cruiserweight moves as Spike um, one thing that I caught was Eddie Guerrero had an absolute nightmare trying to get tables into the ring the kid's not cut out for hardcore wrestling um, him and Benoit look like the Chuckle Brothers trying to set the tables up um, and then Taz and Michael Cole picked up on it and they mentioned over and over again that they're not used to table matches trying to cover up the fact that they can't open a flipping table um, Benoit and Guerrero hit a nice double suplex onto Bubba uh, where Spike moved the table out of the way. Uh, Bubba intercepts Spike to prevent him going through the table with a bit of a rugby tackle. Um, they do the Was Up moment, and everyone loves that. I was a kid when Was Up was on the TV with the adverts. Me and all my schoolmates did it on a daily basis. I loved it. Love it even to this day. Um, the, the, the eliminations start where Spike reverses a suplex and hits a Dudley dog from the top rope uh, onto Guerrero on a table set up outside. Pretty wicked spot. Uh, the second em elimination, uh, Benoit press slams Spike through a table, again over the top rope. Um, and then the last elimination, uh, Bubba reverses a German, turns it into a Bubba bomb and powers Benoit straight through the table. Um, so the winners being Bubba and Spike. Um, what did you reckon to the match result? Um, me, uh, personally, um, I thought, uh, well, it's Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero, you'd imagine it would be those two that would win the match. Um, however, it was Bubba and it was a little Spike. Um, some of the, the spots in the match, like you said, with the uh, the bolt, the Spike Dudley with his little uh, Spike Dudley dog outside the ring. Um, Eddie Guerrero didn't take that too well. That could have, could have gone pretty wrong when I was watching it. Um, and another spot in the match that actually looked really painful uh, was when Spike Dudley jumped off the turnbuckle and did a the double foot stomp onto his chest. That looked like it actually hurt. I, I mean, he might be quite a light guy, but... Jesus, if somebody's going <laughs> to jump on your chest, um, he may, it may look like it would really hurt. Overall, the match itself, uh, I, like I said, I thought it was a great opener. Um, the talent pool uh, for, for that, that era was, was brilliant, and to have those four, uh, well, two of them were essentially megastars, to open up the show, I thought that was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, a decent match, I think, to start off the pay-per-view. So then we get an interview segment with Eric Bischoff and the coach. Um, Bischoff's bigging up how the Raw shows ruthless aggression and how it's got, how they're going to sign Triple H. Um, he cuts the interview off as he notices Triple H near Steph McMahon's uh, SmackDown general manager office. Um, Triple H goes into Steph's office. Um, so the camera then pans away back to ringside where it is the second match of the night. Jamie Noble defending his Cruiserweight title against Billy Kidman. Um, we're going into the match. Um, we had, uh, Jamie Noble... 
against Billy Kidman and we had Jamie Nuttall with his uh, manager or girlfriend, Nidia. Um, and, yeah, uh, again, a, a good match set for Cruiserweight uh, so that they had a bit of variety here for the pay-per-view. Uh, Jamie Noble uh, went to work straight away on Billy Kidman's arm. I noticed that. Uh, so really trying to sell the point that was going to Billy Kidman's arm. Uh, Billy Kidman did a good move, uh, which uh, referenced to me from looking at the wrestling that I watched today. Uh, the move they did it was like a fireman's carry into a net breaker that Ty Dillinger uses as a finisher. I noticed he did that. Um, and then Jamie Noble did another great move for the arm. So he did like a jumping arm breaker, got some quite, uh, you know, really good height on the arm as he went down. Uh, then he went into a couple, of new, a couple more moves and Billy Kidman reversed uh, what looked like to be a powerbomb into like an X-Factor, which I thought was brilliant. Um, and then we had the powerbomb from the top rope. Billy Kidman does a, a, a flying powerbomb to Jamie on the pop top row, which I was like, wow, that's, that's, that's really good. For cruiserweights, like, you can't see two big guys doing that. Uh, that, that, that. I really appreciate that. We go uh, carrying on from the match. It was the shooting uh, star press. Billy Kidman sets himself up for it to hit on Jamie Noble. Uh, and Jamie Noble uh, misses, uh, rolls out of the way, uh, goes for the, uh, the pin on uh, Billy Kidman, and then he kicks out. Uh, then we have the Tiger Bomb from Jamie Noble, uh, always executed brilliantly, uh, really perfected that move, I thought. Uh, and then obviously he gets the win against Billy Kidman. Backstage, and uh, Kurt Angle uh, is on his way uh, in the, uh, backstage, <laughs> and uh, he gets confronted by Paul Heyman and uh, Brock Lesnar. Uh, Angle's going on about why the economy is in the toilet, trying to get some cheap heat from the crowd. Uh, and then Paul Heyman is telling him, you know, look, this guy, Brock Lesnar, he will love to fight you at SummerSlam for the title if Kurt Angle were to win uh, on the pay-per-view. Uh, Kurt Angle comes out with a brilliant phrase saying, uh, this is maybe the summer of Brock, but I'm all-year Angle. I thought that was brilliant. Uh, and then we go on to Kurt Angle going on about how he hates pompous people, which is quite contradicting of him because obviously he's quite pompous himself as his character. Uh, then, obviously, when we cut from backstage, we go straight to our next match. It's for the European title uh, between uh, William Regal and Jeff Hardy. Uh, we have a clip just before the match showing Jeff Hardy beating William Regal for the title and William, Re William Regal crying, uh, which is quite comical. William Regal does great facial expressions, and he's just a, a quite a comical character anyway. Uh, I don't know what you thought about this, Dave. No, no, definitely. Um, for me personally... William Regal against Jeff Hardy is my ultimate 15-year-old boy having a little pie. Um, all two favourite wrestlers. Um, I've always loved the technical side of wrestling. I've always loved a, what people would class as a slow, boring, a uh, bit methodical match. I love that ground and that technical work. Um, very much like I used to love that Angle and Benoit sort of matches. Um, when it's not much high spots, it's all about technical work. But on the flip side, the little 15-year-old of me loved Jeff Hardy. Man, that that kid would jump off anything onto anything and would not care. Um, he, he put his body on the line. So watching these two blend together, a very quick match. I, I must say I was quite disappointed. It feel like they, they either rushed the match to get on the card or they didn't want it to be on the card and thought, hang on, we've got five minutes to, 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 um, to, to use up. Um, and I think the ending, um, it was just... I don't know. I just I don't know what you thought, CJ. I just think for a title match, I know it was only European title, but for a title match on a on a major sort of a major pay per view coming off the end of the uh, the, the, the draft, I think as a major pay, a major ish pay per view, I just think it was a sloppy finish, and it it kind of reminded me of creative from back back in the day today. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. Um, there was two guys, like you said, Regal, Jeff Hardy, two, you know, Regal's style is always a really stiff style uh, with his physical striking and his technical moves at the same time. And then you've got Jeff Hardy, who's the radical guy that jumps off everything. I mean, it's a great clash of people to fight against. And I just feel that they weren't showcased enough in that match uh, with, obviously, I mean, to start off with the match, so just going a little bit back, uh, Jeff Hardy got an amazing pop for say it's 2002, the pop that he got was quite amazing. Um, I really loved the fact that he came out with his face paint on and everybody was going crazy for him, you know, young teenage girls and probably young teenage boys as well screaming for him. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, the, the thing is, he, he, you know, <laughs> the thing is, it's 
Jeff Hardy uh, and William Regal, you'd expect them to have a better finish than they did even in that match. Um, Jeff Hardy has a swanton bomb. He could have used that to, to finish the match or a twist of fate. And uh, William Regal, he had the power of the punch. Uh, but we didn't see any of that. We saw a swanton bomb, but it was reversed. And then the finish was a very, you know, it was a, it was a roll-up. It wasn't what, what I was expecting. Okay, so then we go straight into the uh, John Cena. John Cena. <laughs> Rookie John Cena. Uh, against Chris Jericho. Um, which we've seen that match further down the timeline. Up to, up to now, plenty of times. Um, but this is when John Cena was, you know, just starting out in the WWE. Uh, and he's a rookie and he's trying to get himself over and uh, Jericho sort of gives him the rub in this match uh, we see the um, the backstage or the, the, the clip of when uh, Jericho is beating Cena with a steel chair saying you know how dare you challenge me to a match uh, and try and get yourself over through me sort of thing and uh, it was it was quite a, an exciting match I'd say um, for a young John Cena you can really see uh, his moves at house formulated into the five moves of doom uh, because back then um, he was they were more free with Cena and let him do what he wanted and I found that I mean don't get me wrong the match I'm seeing from Cena in the moment especially with AJ Styles five star match I thought it was brilliant uh, but this match was a more raw version of Cena and you could see uh, more moves you could see with his arsenal what he actually could bring to the table and I was, I was impressed with that um, we had Jericho playing a, a really good heel he was doing all the heel moves he was going outside of the ring uh, hiding away from Cena getting that cheap heat again from the crowd um, then we had Cena he, had a, he did a really good spine buster I was impressed by that um, and then we had the, the rookie challenging Jericho and, you know it's a good match I mean I don't know about you Dave I don't know what you thought um, what do you think? Uh, no, I, I, I totally agree. Um, I think the Cena that we see today is the tell a story Cena. Uh, the Cena we saw back then was look at me, I can wrestle John Cena. Um, I've always kind of, in a sort of, you shouldn't, but you do, um, always admired Cena. I think for someone with sort of limited wrestling ability to an extent to get how big he has done, you can't fault the guy at all. Uh, but I think back then, back then we saw this this raw talent. We saw what he could be, and you can kind of see there's a reason why Vince McMahon's a billionaire, and you can see it. He saw it in Cena then, and you can see the sparkle in his eye. You could see the sort of facial expressions that he gives. Um, Cena knew how to tell a story and knows how to deliver a good match. Um, again, Jericho been putting people over since 2002. Um, he, he does the job. Um, granted, obviously in in a bit of a, what was it, the uh, Lion Tamer turned into a, a bit of a small package. Um, so it's one of them quick little victories. It's, um, it's not, the loss won't hurt Jericho, but the win at the time obviously will propel Cena. Um, he had the great opening match with Angle. He's had, he's had this decent um, decent program with Jericho. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to seeing where John Cena goes within this timeline. Yeah, uh, definitely. Um, I'd just like to just point out a couple of moves that I did miss out in that match that Cena did do. Um, obviously he did do the spine buster but then there was another one he did the belly to belly um, where that actually came across as quite of a quite, it came across as it could have been like a finishing move uh, because Jericho barely kicked out of the belly to belly suplex uh, they did to him um, Jericho kept going for the lion salt as well we saw one failed lion salt uh, which Cena managed to get, away, get out of and then Jericho does the lion salt again and this time lands it and then we see him go straight into the walls of Jericho onto Cena. And then Cena pulls it into a, a semi, if you call it a small package. I don't know what it was. It was like a half-arse small package. But he, he got that on there and that's how he got the win. And then Jericho gets very angry. Uh, again, making himself like a really good heel. Starts hitting his chair against the turnbuckle like you would have seen him doing in WCW when he was frustrated. Uh, and then you also see him picking up the steel chair, uh, steel steps, chucking them around. Really portrayed how angry he actually was. Okay, so then we go backstage and we've got Eric Bischoff still awaiting uh, Triple H's reply, whether we'll go to Raw or SmackDown. He's still in the office uh, with Stephanie McMahon, uh, which we all know that in real life they are husband and wife. However, they are telling the story and 
the Stephanie McMahon's attorney attorney turns up, or as we would over in England call him, a solicitor, uh, comes outside and uh, he's got some docu- legal documents uh, for uh, Triple H to sign. Um, and Eric Bischoff already goes off the handle thinking, oh God, has Triple H signed to SmackDown? Has he turned his back on me? Uh, really good little segment. It, it, as a fan, it gets you thinking at this point in time, you're thinking, oh, actually, you know, Triple H could sign with SmackDown. I mean, back then, the dirt sheets weren't as big as they are now, and you couldn't, you really couldn't tell. You, you, you couldn't get the information that you can now. It's a click of a button away. You can Google anything now. Back then, you couldn't. So it really was like, oh, you know, it was that feeling, especially as like a 15, 12-year-old kid, you're thinking, oh, God, yeah, Triple H, he, he could, he could go to SmackDown, which, you know, it was good. I, I really, I was, I'm enjoying the backstage segments that they are, they're bringing here on the So JR and the King lead us into the next match, uh, which is RVD against uh, Brock Lesnar for the Continental title. JR notes that Heyman is a hemorrhoid on the lips of life, uh, which I must say that that made, made me chuckle a little bit. Um <laughs> It was, um, I, I quite like um, the start of the match where it cut to them both warming up. Um, obviously, RVD's got that unique yoga style that he does warming up, where Brock Lesnar looked like Ivan Drago out of the Rocky films. Um, I don't know, what, what did you think about this match for the IC title seed? Yeah, um, I was fully invested in the match. Fully invested. Um, I would say that, um, well, first off, I'd say you go back to the stretching RVD does, and you got Brock Lesnar in the background, just looks like a hungry animal. Um, they had the promo, uh, the vigilante video before the match to let you know what's gone off. How uh, RVD was beat by Brock Lesnar for the, in the King of the Ring final due to Paul Heyman getting involved and stopping RVD from winning. Um, which uh, it worked, it did work. Um, however, Brock Lesnar was meant to be portrayed as a beast, and I don't feel like he needs anybody's assistance uh, with him getting, you know, getting over. But that's something else to get into. Uh, but the vigilante was really good. It, it gave you a story. It knew you knew what was going to go off between these two, um, and yeah. So it was RVD versus Lesnar, and um, we we got straight into the match, back and forth straight away. Uh, a couple of punches there and there. Brock Lesnar was quite dominant throughout the match. Um, Irish whips RVD into the turnbuckle, and I was really impressed uh, with the role. RVD, RVD did over Brock Lesnar as he was like trying to go into a shoulder margins to turnbuckle. RVD rolled over his head, then did a little uh, backflip and went back into his corner. I thought that was really, you know, it was good. Brock Lesnar really brought across his power in this match as well. The fact that RVD was jumping over the ropes and every time he jumped over the ropes, Brock Lesnar would just catch him like a little baby. First time he did the jump, he caught him, went to go put him into the turnbuckle, RVD got out of the way. Again he jumps, and this time Brock Lesnar grabs him, and my God, uh, I felt like I was, I was winded myself with the fact that Brock Lesnar just did a power stand to RVD onto the mat, which just looked really painful. Really painful. Um, then Brock Lesnar starts doing this stomach, uh, or I, I don't know, I don't know the, the correct term for it, but it's like a reverse backbreaker, but it's actually a stomach breaker that he's doing to him. Uh, lifts him up, puts his knee into his sternum, and that, again, looks painful. Um, Heyman is staring at the match from ringside as if he's in, he's in love. <laughs> he's in love with Brock Lesnar, just the way he's got his hands inside his head, and he's just staring, like, literally looks like he's got a massive boner for Brock Lesnar. Um, then we have the belly overhead suplex that Lesnar does to RVD. I was impressed with that. Uh, the lower back, uh, he's focusing on RVD's lower back, uh, and then Brock Lesnar starts to squeeze RVD, gets him in a bear hug, and again, you can see Heyman getting involved in the match. Uh, Heyman's going, you can hear him, <laughs> you can hear Heyman going, squeeze, squeeze him, Lesnar, squeeze him, which I thought was, was quite comical. Um, uh, and then he's, he's beating him down, Lesnar's beating RVD down over and over again, and then RVD gets some offence in, there's a flying super kick to Brock Lesnar, uh, and then he goes for a rolling thunder, gets a one-two, goes for a five-star, uh, misses the five-star, um, then he goes again for a five-star, and this time when he goes to it, uh, Brock Lesnar catches him into an F5 position, goes to the F5, and he's going to the F5, gets RBD and puts him, uh, RBD puts 
Lesnar into a DDT, I thought that was brilliant. Such a good sequence of moves between Lesnar and RVD. I was, I was, I was really, I was enjoying it. Don't know about you, Dave. No, no, it was a, it was a, it was a decent match to be fair. But I think one thing the match proved though was that that Brock Lesnar is not ready for the main event. Um, obviously, at the, um, earlier when they had the interaction with Angle, um, it's now been decided that the winner of the um, uh, well, it was it King of the Ring, wasn't it? Yeah, Brock Lesnar won the King of the Ring, so he's going to go into the winner of the title match in SummerSlam. And I, I think it just proved that Brock Lesnar wasn't ready for the main event. And I, 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 he looked sloppy. I think he needed Heyman. Um, I think without Heyman there, Brock Lesnar, the same today, as much as he is this animal, is the beast incarnate. He's an absolute animal. I don't know about you, but I would like to take him on. Um, but Heyman gives him that edge. He gives him that character. And he gives the reason, to use a bit of one of your phrases, the reason for people to invest in him. Um, and without Paul Heyman, he sells tickets. He sells Lesnar's tickets. Uh, Lesnar on his own. Have you heard him speak, Lesnar? I challenge you to a match. Lesnar's, he's, he's a, he sounds like a child. Uh, but yeah, it was a decent match. Um, it put RDVO, uh, RVD over, sorry. Um, it made Lesnar like a powerhouse. I think it leads Lesnar, Lesnar quite well on into SummerSlam. Uh, but I'll certainly be looking forward to better things from him. I, uh, I really thought it was funny when uh, JR referenced to Paul Heyman as he was getting involved in the match. But JR called Paul Heyman a bald-headed bastard, which again was really funny. Like just for JR, how he gets so involved into matches, and he goes, "Oh God, Heyman, you bald-headed bastard!" And I just thought that was really funny. Um, and then for the the finish, uh, oh, the finish! It could have been so much better. It could have been so much better. It's like neat. Neither guy, for me, I don't know, you, you can agree with me or disagree with me, but I, for me, I didn't really feel that either guy got anything out of it, really, uh, because there should have been, you know, either Lesnar had to win or RVD had to win. RVD did win. He got to retain his Intercontinental Championship. However, Lesnar came off, he came off weak at the end of the match because RVD uh, got the DQ because Heyman need, Lesnar needed Heyman's help. I don't. I didn't see a need for that. I didn't. I understand with Lesnar needs Heyman, and he, again up to 2016 still needs Heyman. He is his mouthpiece. But when Lesnar is in the ring, I don't think uh, or feel like Heyman needs to get involved physically. I don't feel like he needed to get involved. It could have been. It should have. It should, for me, Lesnar should have won the match, especially if he is going to be the number one contender for the WWE Champion at SummerSlam. He needed to win the match without any DQs, and he should have gone across. I don't know about you, Dave. I don't, I don't know how you felt about that. No, 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 definitely. Um, I think, just like you said, I think Lesnar and already needed a winner. Lesnar should have won. But it's one of them difficult situations where RVD's coming in as IC champion. Lesnar's next match on pay-per-view is for the world title. It's one of them. It's like a typical Braun Strowman match on Raw at the minute. You know he's not going to lose. Do you know what I mean? You knew it was just one of them where it was all about how. You knew that Lesnar was going to win, but he wasn't going to take the title. So was Heyman going to get involved? And it was just one of them matches where, looking back now, I can remember back then being amazed by Brock Lesnar, especially when he debuted on Raw and he, he tossed the Hardy Boys around like they were pieces of paper. Um, but it was he had that sort of amazement around him, which I imagine a lot of the kids seeing him today. Okay, guys, so uh, this is half time, so I figured uh, it'd be a nice chance for me to plug myself cheaply into this podcast. Uh, I have got my own YouTube channel, and it is called The CJ Show. You can catch me every Monday and every Friday with fresh new content. If you go there now, you will see uh, episodes such as uh, Challenge Mode, where I'll do uh, things such as running across Lego bricks. There's other challenges where I put as many T-shirts as I possibly can within three minutes. And other little things like that, and I also do reviews. So if you do get a chance, guys, please do follow me on YouTube, uh, subscribe to my channel, like me on Facebook, and follow me on Twitter. Back to you, Dave. So up next is Big Show versus Booker T, a battle of the ex-NWO, WBNWO members. Um, I don't know if you've got any sort of memories from the NWO when they came back uh, under Vince McMahon when he said he was going to put poison back into the WWE. Yeah, well, my memories of that were, wow, I was really stumped for it. Like, oh, God, you know, the NWO are coming to the WWE. And I was, I expected so many great things, so many great things. But unfortunately, it just wasn't what it was when it first started out organically in the WCW. I don't know about you. I don't know what you think, but that's just my opinion. No, uh, 
I totally I agree. It, well, I think it ran its course in the WCW. I think that was the biggest problem. If if it was, let's say, let's say I use for example the Nexus. I was a massive fan of the Nexus, and John Cena killed that single-handedly. But when that was at its peak, yeah, imagine if that then it comes back tomorrow. Right, the Nexus come back. They say Wade Barrett comes back. They all get the Nexus back together. I think it'd get a bit of a pop because it was at its peak when it died. NWO when it died in WCW, it it was far from its peak. Joey, yeah, they got it too. Yeah. It was too big. There were about sixty odd, seventy wrestlers in it, split into five, six different groups, the sections of the group. It were a joke in itself. And then bringing it back, you've got Kevin Nash who can hardly wrestle. Prove that six months in when his quad went again. Then you had X Pac who were on too many drugs. Uh, Scott Hall too many drugs. Uh, and then they f- start throwing people like the Big Show back in it because they were in w- WCW. Booker T in it, even though he would never, he used to fight against it in WCW. Yeah. So, yeah, it was uh, an odd period of time, to be fair. And I'm quite glad that it's just finished before this time period works. I couldn't be doing watching that again. No, definitely um, not. So definitely not. Big Show, Booker T. Um, I don't know what, what you sort of took from the match. I thought, to be fair, it was, well, no DQ, wasn't it? So, um, yeah. you, you had the usual no DQ spots uh, Booker T at a TV monitor the old grey TV monitor straight into the face um, there was a good axe kick through the table by Booker T onto Big Show thought that was pretty decent a nice little spot um, then Booker T axe kick Big Show to finish um, and then he did him with the Houston hangover um, even though it's the Harlem hangover but they'll, it's not WCW anymore is it you're now our boy Booker T um, now, I don't know about you, but with Booker T, I think he must be the only WCW wrestler right, that has come to WWE from the invasion and from the takeover and everything that actually now is seen as a WWE boy and not an ex-WCW that moved to WWE. Yeah, yeah, I, I completely agree like with he's that. He's not got uh, a history. He's like his WC- Even though he still uses that five-time nonsense, that is the only reference they ever do to his history. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, when he came from WCW, when he was part of the invasion, he was the only one I think that actually, you know, he stayed there. He stayed there. He lasted. He outlasted everybody more or less, um, as with regards to being a main eventer. Uh, Booker T just he stayed there at the top, and uh, you know, I mean, he's that good. I find it hard still thinking about him being in TNA. He was actually in TNA for. If you, if you actually think about that for a, for a minute. Booker T was actually in TNA. And he was I a still, multiple time champion in TNA. Yeah, yeah, but I still, for me, I find that hard to, to believe. I know that sounds weird, but it's like Mick Foley was in TNA, but I still. Mick Foley was TNA heavyweight champion of the world, yeah, my friend. Yeah, but <laughs> it, it doesn't seem real. It doesn't seem like they were in TNA. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It's just, that's how, that's how good. How good a guy he is, he, you know. And, he, I mean, look at him now. Look, he's 50 odds in his 50s, yeah. and he's still in great shape, and he's ready to go, you know. I think if, if WWE right now said to Booker T, hey, Booker, we want you to fight, I don't know, The Undertaker at WrestleMania in a heartbeat, he'd do it. Oh, he yeah. can, he, that, that, that guy can still go. And he'd put, he, on, he, he'd put on a show as well. We'll get one more match out of Booker T. I guarantee it. Well, I, I, I would eat my T-shirt if he doesn't. I don't think he's had his actual retirement match. I don't, I'm sure he's not. I think he just he disappeared and he come back when did he have a feud with was it like the Miz or Cody Rhodes or something like that? Yeah, yeah. and he came back and had a pay per view match with him. Um, well, the, the reason for him against Cody Rhodes was to give Cody the, the push. Yeah, and obviously it's, he had a push for like two three years and then turned into Stardust and then well the rest is history really. No, no, definitely. Briefly, just to uh, to touch on it as it's uh, obviously in the news at the minute. I know it's not our time and not our thing, but just touch on it. Cody Rhodes in uh, TNA. I think it's a great move calling him just Cody because they can put him with his wife and they can say Cody and Brandy Rhodes. I think it's the only way around it than using any other spelling of the word Rhodes, using Runnels. <laughs> but will he, will he, my question to you, CJ, is will he be able to get over by just be called Cody? It's not a, it's not a great name. Is yep, it? Let's be fair. he'll get over. Yeah. No, it's, the thing is, the thing is I, I, obviously, like we said, we are going on a little of a side note here, and this is my opinion, and you guys at home listening, you can completely disagree with me here, but I think that on that whole roster of TNA roster right now, as we speak, I thoroughly, wholeheartedly believe Cody Rhodes is the best single piece of talent that is on that roster. That's, that's, I don't think there's anybody else on that roster that touches Cody Rhodes. 
And that, 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 I don't know. I don't know if that's just me being a WWE guy. I'm just, you know, being the guy that just watches WWE. But you think about all the other talent that's there. Even uh, Damien Sander or Tyler X, if you call him. He Tyler is Rex. A, Tyler, he, he, Aaron, Re- Aaron Rex. <laughs> Aaron Rex. That's how crappy's new name is. I can't even remember what he's bloody called, you know. <laughs> but Cody Rhodes. But the thing is, one one more thing I want to I want to say about this, this whole TNA thing. In the news recently, TNA have been there's been rumors all around saying, you know, ROH, uh, WWE, and even Lucha Underground are interested in buying TNA because TNA are in, you know, they're in a lot of debt. Oh, yeah. So what actually made Cody Rhodes want to go to TNA or how or how have TNA managed to afford Cody Rhodes knowing that they can't even afford to to make some new TV tapings maybe they're just taking a gamble on him I don't know I don't know so then up next it's that moment that none of us have been waiting for uh, Triple H comes out to make his decision is he signing for Raw is he signing for Smackdown um, you had uh, Bischoff I think Bischoff came out first he started giving his little spiel about why I should join Raw Stephen Mann came out, why I should join SmackDown. Um, and then, obviously, all of a sudden, um, Shawn Michaels comes out. And everyone's obviously, they've not seen him for a while since the NWO split. Um, and then Shawn Michaels is convincing Triple H to have, uh, let's let's go with the, the two Fs, friendship and fun. So uh, it, it looks like that they didn't hint on it. I don't know how you felt about it, CJ, but they didn't kind of mention the words DX. But it looks like tomorrow night on Raw that DX are getting back together on Monday Night Raw to go havoc again and to make, as Michaels put it, Bischoff's life a living hell. Yeah, um, completely agree. Uh, just watching it, um, I didn't at the time. I, I I wasn't even thinking DX at the time. I was just thinking, oh, this could be interesting. What's going to happen with Triple H and Shawn Michaels? Um, yeah, it's exciting. It, for that time, was very exciting at that age as well. No, definitely. I think it's one of like, with me, I was, I remember DX when I was a boy, when I was like 13, well, what we're talking, WrestleMania 14, so I would have been, yeah, 13, 14, something like that, and when DX used to run Havoc on Monday Night Raw, it was, it was the first proper step that I think that WWE ever took, or WWF at the time, they ever took to kind of start competing with WCW. This this edgy product, like people always mention the actual era, started back when like Austin um, won the title, uh, WrestleMania 14 when he beat Shawn Michaels. I think it started a lot earlier when Michaels and Triple H and they used to run Raw. So I was mega excited. Uh, I remember back at the time, I remember watching the pay-per-view and could not wait to, to see Monday Night Raw to see DX back together. So it's, uh, it should be fun. The fun of DX for me was um, when it was Road Dog, Billy Gunn, uh, X-Pac and Triple H, and then China as well. That was my favourite DX. Uh, you forgot Rick Rude. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't the greatest <laughs> he member did, of the X that was never needed to be there. <laughs> he wasn't edgy enough. Well, no. Well, it, uh, to be fair, back in the day, like to digress a slight little bit, back in the eighties, probably Rick Rude was one of the more edgier ones. Yes, yeah, so I said though to to you know you just said the word there in the eighties. Like he wasn't he wasn't on Sean Michaels and Triple H level hey, edgy at the time of Sean Michaels and Triple H getting together. The eighties WWE were destroying current WWE in the ratings. <laughs> yeah, that's because the only thing you could watch on TV. Randy Savage versus Lex Luger Monday Night Nitro for the world title in nineteen ninety seven. What more could you ask for? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what else I'd ask for, but not, not probably not that, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, yeah, so as, as we said, Triple H now he's made a decision and goes to Raw, um, and then we lead on then to our tag team title match of the evening. We've got Hulk Hogan and Edge against Christian and Lance Storm. Now I was always a big fan of the Un-Americans, uh, Christian and Lance Storm, and with Test as well. Um, I've always been liked an anti-American gimmick uh, for some reason. I think because Bret Hart used to love the UK fans when he had the anti-American gimmick. Um, but yeah, so Hulk Hogan in 2002, talk to me. <sighs> 2002. Well, the thing with Hulk Hogan is he is that, that sort of guy. You know, he's synonymous. You say Hulk Hogan to anybody, they know who Hulk Hogan Hulk. Who Hulk Hogan is? Sorry, get my words out. Uh, <laughs> Hulk Hogan. Um, he was the first guy to actually make the transition from and be on the top of all time from being a babyface in the WWE during the late eighties, early nineties, then going to WCW and being a face there. And then he knew straight away, like he has got a wrestling brain. He's like, hey, the fans, are, 
The yeah. fans are flipping on me. Right, yeah. I'm going to go heel. And he stayed on top as a heel, came back to WWE in 2001, 2002. And I mean, since he's been back, since he's been back in this time period, uh, I, I've loved every minute of Hogan. Loved him. Um, on a wrestling side of things, not so much. <laughs> since about 1993, on a, that my personal, uh, I think that was his best year when he got off the steroids. Um, if you're listening, Hulk, we know you didn't, but we all know you did. Um, when he got off the steroids, um, and it, WrestleMania nine, when it was like this Hulk Hogan came back all of a sudden, and it was. It was three quarters of the size he once was, and it's who's the but he could move. Hulk Hogan, I, oh, people are gonna hate me, but Hulk Hogan, he he could he could move around the ring. He weren't the greatest wrestler, but he could move. He weren't slow, but the older he got, the more roidy he got, the slower he got. And Hulk Hogan, well, Hulk Hogan to be fair, Hulk Hogan NWO, so we're talking '96. Um, he then he wasn't his roidy self. He was he was quite small, skinny Hulk Hogan. Um, but he, like you said yourself, to, to repeat what you said, he realised when it was time. He knew the fans were turning on him. It was time to go. But like you said, again, on the flip, he's also been able to revert back to being a face. And no one... If Hulk Hogan, granted, he's had the stuff he's got going on, but if he walked out into Monday Night Road tomorrow, the whole arena would lose their shit. Of course. That's the thing with Hulk Hogan. He's always managed to main that top-level status. Always. Never will lose it. And every time you see Hulk Hogan come out, I mean, I can remember the period, just, just going a little bit off topic here, I can remember a period where he kept coming back uh, for, like, one-off appearances. My God, the, the pop he got at WrestleMania, uh, it may have been 22. When he saved uh, Eugene. Yeah, uh, from yeah, yeah, uh, Mohammed yeah. Hassan. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. That was one of the biggest pops I think I've heard, yeah. ever. Yeah. <laughs> People go crazy for the Hogan. But with regards to the actual match itself... Um, you're saying that you know you're the you, you like the heel guys, you like the um, the anti-Americans, the but lovely. I'm not a fan. I uh, never have been a fan of those sort of teams. I'm always rooting for the face. Um, well, back then I was anyway. Now I've got older, I've got a bit more smarter and realise that the heels are more cool to like. Um, but the match itself, the match was good-ish. Um, there were some good little spots in there. But Hogan, for me, he stood out like a wet lettuce. As in the fact that he, he just wasn't moving. It was like a piece of rock. Yeah. And they're trying to get, you know, Hogan's always had this problem with, and I'm sure you, you, you'll, you'll render on this topic as well. He doesn't know how to sell. He's really bad at it. Well, the thing is, we all call him, he's never been able to sell. Um, I think Shawn Michaels, and it comes on a bit further down our timeline when it's the SummerSlam match, where Shawn Michaels oversells to take the mick out of the fact that Hogan can't sell. And like there's a couple of moments in this match, uh, Christian and Storm, they worked over Hogan, uh, did a double suplex. Hogan got up quicker than they did. Uh, he, he didn't know how to stay down. Um, it, it, it was just one of them, this tag team match was one of them typical Hulk Hogan matches where everything revolves around him, but there's no input that he actually does. Um, like you, you had, it would, yeah, it was just... Christian and Lance Storm, they did a bloody good well at working with a lump of concrete, and that's all it was. Uh, and Edge didn't even, you'd, Edge didn't get his sort of, I won't say limelight, but he didn't get his moments in this match because it was all about Hogan. It was all about Hogan. Typical Hogan match. Hogan starts strong. Hogan finishes strong. In the middle, he gets beat down. It's like modern day Cena matches. Um, he gets beat down, and then Hogan does his big Hulk up and everything. Just, just, just you know, just to point out on that, I actually when watching Hogan actively wrestling um, as I was getting older, I used to be terrified because when he would go against opponents, I actually generally wanted to beat him. I would be terrified when he starts the whole cup. I would like, oh no, here we go. Yeah. And it's the same thing with Cena as well. Cena oh, with the yeah. five. Once he starts going with it, once he starts going, and do you know what annoys me? Just to digress the slice a little bit. Why do people keep swinging? After he does the shoulder block, shoulder block, people swing. And that's how he turns it into that atomic drop powerbomb thing. Just get your swinging, then he's got no. Keep your arms down, down by your side. <laughs> It'll stop him. I tell you, there's, there's, there's a kryptonite in there. Um, but yeah, with, with, I, I totally agree with you with Hogan. Um, I just think it is the, the Hulk Up routine and the big boots and the leg drop, it's synonymous with Hulk Hogan winning. Do you know what I mean? There's not many. Yeah. Even in later life, there weren't many. I think maybe The Rock was only one of a few. Like Undertaker, I think, did it a couple of times where they kick out the leg drop. Because it wasn't it wasn't a thing to do, um, but yeah, back to the match. Um, it was that bad. We, we've digressed so much, and it, it turned into a clusterfuck at the end. An absolute utter clusterfuck. You had Edge running, you had Jericho running, um, 
was it Edge that run in first and he booted, uh, sorry, Tess run in first, he booted Edge, um, and then Edge first turns it round and gets Storm for a two count after he speared him, but then Jericho run in, he nailed Edge with the belt, Storm gets the pin and we've got new tag team titles, and I think it was just, A, it was a way of getting the titles off Hogan, and B, thank Christ they did. Yeah. As much as it pains me to say it, yeah, I am glad that they, they I mean, they did the unthinkable, beat Hulk Hogan. But it was it was one of the things where it it wasn't a bad match till all the nonsense started. To be fair, but Hogan looked worse than he's ever looked. He really has. I think he's looked worse than he's ever looked during this match. Yeah, I don't want to see Hulk Hogan fight anymore. I don't want to see him in the ring anymore. Use Hulk Hogan, uh, use him as a mouthpiece. Use him what they've used him for the last couple of years before he had all these all these shenanigans. Um, but. I don't want to see him wrestle anymore. And I've got a funny feeling this isn't the last time we're going to see him. In the ring? Oh, yeah. I mean, current timeline. Oh, right. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I was drifting off there. Yeah, I have a funny feeling that it isn't the last time we're going to see this guy in the ring. Not at all. Well, then this leads us to a couple of backstage segments. Man, God, I'm... I've had enough of these backstage segments tonight. So you've then you've got uh, Bischoff coming out to Angle trying to get him to join Raw. Uh, then it cuts to Stephanie McMahon getting interviewed. I swear we've seen these two more than we've seen anything tonight. It's I don't know this this era of wrestling. I don't know what it was, but there was a lot. I think we're slowly getting there again, where there's just authority figures everywhere. Yeah. Where they, they it's you're supposed to split is in two. You've got Raw on one side, SmackDown on the other. Especially these days, they've now got two gaffers on both sides. Just let them be your own shows. We'll see you in a year. Do you know what I mean? We'll see you at WrestleMania or something like that. It's, I don't know. I don't know about what you think. I just It annoyed me at this timeline because you had some bloody good wrestlers on roster. And well, as we've covered about 15, 20 times during this review, um, again, wasted time with, uh, with backstage segments. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. I mean, even if it's not, a wrestling match, maybe give all the wrestlers camera time backstage. Give them backstage moments, yeah. Give them. I totally agree. Give them backstage moments. Even the um, the skits, the funny like this, like today they do the damn segments. You know, damn with uh, Ron Simmons for who? Yeah. Oh, of course. Just something. Com- com- I love. I love a bit of comedy backstage. Love it. Oh yeah. Well, the, was it the Raw One Thousand where um, May Young came with Mark Henry's son? And it was the big hand. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> It was the most stupidest Vince McMahon brain comedy you'll ever be in the world, but my God, that shit was funny. Yeah, well, the sad thing is the people who were watching that at that time who were, you know, kids would have a clue what was going on. No, no, no. I remember watching it. I remember watching Sunday Night Heat when it was all going on where she gave birth. I'm sure it was Sunday Night when she gave birth to the hand and I must have been 15 and I just, I found it revolting. I just found it, that's fucking weird. That's odd. <laughs> but now looking back, it's funniest thing ever. I'd love to have been an adult in actual era. I've always said that. So many, like, I never got Val Venus, the fact that it rhymes with penis. I never got that until I was an adult. Never got it. I've I literally just got that now. Yeah, that was where the characters come from. Vince Russo, that was Vince Russo's brain. And because Val Venus rhymed with penis, it was a, that was his porn star character. <laughs> you could never get away with a Val Venus gimmick today. <laughs> oh, no. Well, why do you think once they were trying to, trying to, like, rein it in a little bit, it went from Val Venus to when he was... Was he Chief Morley, and then he went to Sean Morley, his real name? I think he did make a little return as Val Venus, but there was never like the innuendos all the time when Val Venus was uh, coming out for his um, like pre-match interviews, uh, pre-match like little promos. The innuendos, watching back, honestly, some of the innuendos are ridiculous. Yeah, I miss, I miss it, I miss it. Me and you both. <laughs> right, so that leads us on to the main event of the evening. It's the triple threat match for the WWE title. It's Undertaker, it's Rock, it's Kurt Angle. to defend my title against Triple H. So where in the hell does the Rock think he could get involved in my match? Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! He almost cost me the title. The Undertaker is still the man. He is still the toughest man in the yard. Just to show you where my heart is, I'm giving you what you wanted. You're the champion or not. You got what you want. I've been you. You got the rock. No, whether I'm champion or not, what's that supposed to mean? 
the WWE Undisputed title on the line. The Undertaker to meet Kurt Angle. No time in his goal. It could be time for the last surrounding the Kurt Angle versus Undertaker match. And in the interest of fairness, the main event of vengeance will now be Kurt Angle versus The Rock versus The Undertaker in a triple threat matchup for the undisputed WWE Championship. To take a rock and angle, um, three of the biggest stars this time period in the main event. Um, for me, this was it, it added a tiny little bit of the start, a tiny little bit of comedy relief, which I was quite nice. Uh, the rock and undertaker they started talking some shit to each other, where Kurt just stood in the background waving his arms, trying to get attention, like a kid trying to get the attention of a parent. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> and then they both turned around, and just dropped him. I thought that was brilliant. That was, it was in such a serious because the 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 Vigianti before, it was such a big build-up. Um, Angle was starting to see a bit more of a serious side to him to an extent in the ring. He was turning into what we now know as the, like the wrestling machine. Uh, it was like the early, very early stages of it. Undertaker and Rock, you know what they can deliver. Um, I think it was it was a great match. One one key moment that stuck out before I uh, let you jump in and, and tell me what you thought. Um, Rock with his Evian spew of doom. The water bottle. I don't know what it is about water, that when it leaves the Rock's mouth... It's like bullets. <laughs> yes, yes, I completely agree. Um, How is it no- kill the Undertaker? I don't know. <laughs> the only two people that can actually spit water out of a bottle and make it sell are The Rock and Triple H. Oh, Triple H. I used to practice that when I was younger, and I could never get the water to go up in the air like Triple H makes it go up in the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know. He must have practiced that for years. <laughs> yeah, he's... Um, Triple H would be good at some certain challenges. What's that one? We can flip the bottle of water. What's that oh, one? Oh, yeah. The, yeah um, He'd be good at that. The be, I, I, around I, the internet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon Triple H could break the internet with that, I think. <laughs> um, the match itself, there was a few good moments I thought stuck out. It's quite a dull affair, to be fair, but I've never been a big fan of tri- a triple threat matches. Um, Undertaker with his rope walk of death. I, I, I don't like that now. I didn't like that then. It was only good in like 1992, 93 when Undertaker because no one ever did anything like that in WB or WBF at the time. Um, and yeah. I don't I don't like seeing it. It bores me. You know what's coming. Um, you get the occasional time where a wrestler will pull the Undertaker off the rope, but usually it's his, it's his a lot of effort just for a, a, a jump off with, with a, a knock on to the shoulder. I, I feel, and this is something I, I strongly feel about, um, when another wrestler does another wrestler's finishing manoeuvre, I just don't agree with good. it. It can't. Austin Rock, the only tool that should be allowed. Because Rock, I, Rock can do a good stunner. And it's not hard to do a rock bottom. Yeah, but still, if yeah, somebody's... Their matches, it, that's the only matches that I personally think it's ever added to, is Rock Austin. It's, it's an awkward situation, if you ask me. 
I mean, you're not asking me, but I'm asking. Fire away, my friend. That's what I'm giving my opinion. is all about the fact that if somebody does, so say The Rock does Stone Cold Stunner, yeah, yeah, and Stone Cold kicks out the Stunner. In effect, he's making his own finishing maneuver look weak. Yes. Yeah. That's my two cents on it. No, no, it, I totally agree. Like they had a moment in the match where everyone was hitting each other with everybody's uh, finishers. And yeah, it does. It does take away the fact that a finishing move, back when I was younger, everybody had a finisher. Like these days, they have signatures and finishers. Back then, you just had a finisher. Bret Hart only killed people off with a sharpshooter. Undertaker only ever killed people off with a tombstone. They were no other move. They were no chokeslam. They were no last ride. That was it. But I think because now wrestlers, apart from maybe, let's say, probably Brock Lesnar's of the world, where he does his, his hundred different suplexes, but his F5 kills people off. Um, everyone's got two or three different finishing moves. Like modern day wrestling, everyone seems to have a submission move at some point because they'll do their main move that five years ago used to win a match. And then they'll put their submission move on. So it's like everyone's... And this was that sort of period of time where it was changing. Everyone had a couple. Kurt Angle, he had the angle slam. He had the ankle lock. Rock, he's always had rock bottom and elbow. Taker, he had the last ride and the tombstone. So it was... I think they kind of could get away with it to an extent because that move wasn't the one that finished off. Like, there's, there's not many matches these days where one finisher wins a match, especially on a pay-per-view. Yeah, which is sad, really. Very, not very. I, I, but it. I don't know. I think. Did, did you think it, as an as an as a all right? Okay, so think of as an eighties kid growing up, an eighties kid, and it was like you know, oh god, Hulk Hogan, he's got. Oh my god, he's he's doing a leg drop, and it's like that feeling you get, like oh god, yeah, there we go, he's doing a leg drop, like it's like oh, it's over, it's over, and now it's like. Uh, well, not not the era that we're doing now, but with the current product, Cena, go back to him because he's the the one we can pick on the most. Yeah, <laughs> he he does an F F five or F U or Fireman's Carry, whatever you call it, attitude adjustment. He does that, and you're like, oh god, he's gonna do it. He's gonna kick out. Then oh god, then he's gonna do an STFU. He's gonna he's gonna get to the ropes. He's gonna do another. It just goes on and on and on. It's like when is the match actually gonna finish? Yeah, because I I, I think the, the problem is. It's always annoyed me with Cena's finishers. Someone as mega star as Cena, uh, he could have picked a couple of different finishers. He does a, a, a pathetic Death Valley driver. Now, if you want to see a good one, you watch some Tommy Dreamer old stuff when he did that Death Valley driver. Even the Godfather delivered it better than John Cena does it as his finisher. And then <laughs> you've got the STFU. Right? Or oh, it's just the STF now because we can't swear anymore. Uh, it's terrible. Cena puts too much emphasis on his face and his, his sort of expressions. I know I, I said about it earlier when the Cena-Jericho match, about how you're starting to see these sort of expressions and these, these sort of how Cena can sell to a camera. But modern-day Cena sells too much. Like Next time you watch him put an, FU on, uh, an SDFU on somebody, you watch his arms. He's squeezing his arms that much to push his arms away from his body. I'm doing the motion now, even though you can't see people at home. <laughs> right? He pushes away from his body. It just looks... You're supposed to be pulling back. They shouldn't. Your arm shouldn't be dead straight when you're pulling somebody back. Do you know yeah. What I mean? it's, oh, it annoys me. Right, so the uh, the end of the match. It was quite pretty cool, to be fair. Um, so it was the match wasn't anything overly special. Uh, rock bottom reversed uh, an ankle lock. Um, uh, yeah, angle reversed a rock bottom, sorry, into an ankle lock. Uh, but then Rock reversed out of it. Uh, Undertaker chokes and angle, but then walked into a rock bottom from the rocket to a two count. Now, again, like I said earlier, that probably again should have been the second time the match should have been over. Um, then Angle cradles the rock for two. Then Angle slams the Undertaker, but then walks straight into a rock bottom. And it gives Rock one, two, three, and his seventh world championship uh, in just short of 20 minutes. Yeah, um, man, uh, out of those three... I would say that at this period of time, that the best person to have on the title on at this minute of time is The Rock. Um, the guy is, he's he's the guy selling the most merchandise. He's the guy that's most over at this point. Um, obviously, he, he trans at this point in time, he, he's transitioning into the movies as well. Um, so why not put the belt on the guy? Um, he's just he's he's a superstar. The Rock. He is a superstar. Oh, he is. He is. I, the The Undertaker will always be a legend, but. The Undertaker never reached that level. 
in a weird sort no. of way. He's got some, don't get me, he's got fan support. And these days when he comes back, everyone, I, I still pop, a 31-year-old man, I still pop when I see The Undertaker. But he was never an Austin, a Rock, a Cena, a Hogan. He was never, he, he was always just under, like very much like Shawn Michaels. Because Shawn Michaels was never the peak of his, of his like, era. There was a, Bret Hart was always in front of him. And then we had the Austin in front of him. So I just think it was one of them where he was the, one of the best, but he's not a man to carry a title. Undertaker's title runs last a month at tops. Every single one of them, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, Angle, not ready yet, I think, for a proper run. But we are starting to see a bit more of Angle. Um, what got me at the end of this match was JR in his usual understatement. Called it the most awesome triple threat match he's ever seen in his life. Now, come on, JR. It, don't get me wrong, right? It was light years better than the crap that we've been getting in the main events as if of, like, the past six months to a year. Let's be fair, right? Because it had The Rock, it had Undertaker, it had Kurt Angle. But triple threat matches, personally, as I said earlier, and I've covered a lot of times, they pretty much, they suck as a whole. And they, they require a lot of contrived situations to build drama. You can't get a natural one-on-one storyline progression. It needs... Every, someone's got to be on their arse or outside of the ring. It, it needs things to push them on. And the whole guy pins the guy who isn't the champion to win the title finish, that doesn't help anybody. Um, do you know what I mean? In the long run, it's not going to. But that's what they always use because it's a way of going into a rematch, going into a, another storyline, and it's something that's still used today. Do you know what I mean? It, it's the fact that, oh, we'll have a triple threat match, we'll make sure the champion doesn't get pinned, so that makes something to talk about tomorrow night on Raw. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. It's um, they've done the same with Lesnar. Lesnar's had the um, he 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 when he lost the title to uh, Seth Rollins at WrestleMania, he never got pinned. Oh no. Um, it, it, it's you know well yeah it, it's it's just the same thing. There's tons of triple threat matches that have happened like that, and like you said, it's just for to have something else to talk about on Monday Night Raw for they can go into another storyline. And get the Undertaker set up for another storyline with somebody else, maybe. Yeah, I think we're starting to, and we are going to see in this timeline um, is we're going to see a lot more of pay-per-view finishes um, that are actual just starts of storylines to carry on on Monday Night Raw. We are hitting that period of time in wrestling um, where a pay-per-view doesn't really matter. It's just a way of progressing that very much like it is today. Like we've just had backlash and clash of champions in the space of three weeks. Yeah, um, and then we've got you know, we've got the next one coming up, and then there's one after in a couple of weeks, and then it's Survivor Series, and it's just, it's it's too much. And pay per views now because well the network specials aren't they not pay per views, but how it's seen in modern day, um, just to, just to touch on it slightly, it's it's seen every single pay per view because it's the same length as Monday Night Raw. It is just a Monday Night Raw with less talking and more wrestling. Yeah, completely agree. Completely. I mean. <sighs> today's product is you know what when i found out that raw and smackdown were gonna be you know the the the, the brand split i was proper excited about it i was like oh at least you know the listeners the fans are going to do something different but then you know all wwe fans are the same nothing can ever be good enough it's oh, never no. done our way and it's, it's, never, it's never done the way we want it to be done but saying that wwe come on you know why have a pay-per-view every two weeks that's just lewd, That's just stupid. You you haven't got time to build storylines. You can't get truly invested in the storylines. You can't. You can't. You, I totally, totally, totally agree. And that's why we've had the same set of storylines for the past however many months. Because there's no way of splitting it. There's no way of ending a storyline and starting another one to the point where people care, or to use your little phrase, hashtag invested, um, <laughs> in the next pay-per-view because they've only had three weeks to care about it or in some cases two weeks to care about it. It's, it's a bittersweet. It's bittersweet, Dave. It's bittersweet because you've got all the indie darlings at the moment. You look, all the guys, everybody wants to be a champion, our champion. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, no, definitely. And I think the brand split. On the other side, on the other side of things, it's like, oh, yeah, well, my guy's not got what I want him. I, my guy's not where I want him to be at the minute. Or, you know, it'll no, always be the same. It'll never oh, yeah. change. Oh, it's not going to be. And I think on that moment, it's a great way to end the pay-per-view. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, that's been Vengeance 2002 in the bag. Uh, the Ruthless Aggression podcast, that's the first episode done. Uh, what do you reckon, CJ? That's one in the bag, one and one. And one. Well, just for a little uh, side note for all the fans uh, who are going to be listening to our podcast. Guys, 
I'm breaking the fourth wall, but this this hasn't taken one whole day. This has been a long prod- podcast, oh, and it's, I'm it's really glad while. it's finished. It's took a while, but you, everyone's got to start somewhere, and I just hope everyone that listens, and um, I hope you enjoy it. Um, until next time, this has been the Ruthless Aggression Podcast. My name's Dave. My name's CJ. Peace out, people. <laughs>